You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Collide. Got Slack? Got Macs? Get Collide. Device security that fixes challenging problems by messaging your users on Slack. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days. No credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash missionlog. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash missionlog. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 446, State of Flux. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we take a deep dive into an episode of Star Trek, examining it for morals, meanings, and messages, and seeing if it withstands the test of time. This week, State of Flux, the one where we're kind of reintroduced to the Kazon and discover that not all on Voyager is exactly what it appears to be. We will let you get back to enjoying your guilt-free mushroom soup in a moment, but first, here's how to stay in touch with us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on Twitter and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now... Here is John Champion with this week's trivia. Mmm, tastes guilty. All right, today's episode of State of Flux, we have a story by Paul Robert Coyle. We have just one previous credit for Paul. That was on the DS9 second season episode, Whispers. But Paul's association with Trek goes back much further. As a freelancer, he had actually pitched for Star Trek The Animated Series, and then he found himself years later doing some uncredited rewrites on TNG. This is his only other credited Trek story, but Paul has a long career as a TV writer, showing up on multiple episodes of Xena, Hercules, Jake and the Fat Man, and many, many others. Now, about the pitch for this particular story... Paul had the idea way back as Voyager was just getting off the ground. He's the one who found the angle for Seska, and wisely, the producers on the show, namely Jerry Taylor and Michael Piller, decided to hold it back a little until there were a few more episodes in, once we had gotten to know the crew a little better. They thought that the reveal would have much more impact that way. Now, uh, Chris Abbott, also a writer-producer who was doing some freelance work, got the teleplay credit on this one. He had a background working on shows like Little House on the Prairie, oh, and Magnum P.I., and many soap operas. This is his only Trek credit, but really we have to look back at Michael Piller, who uh, did what he did very well, which is fleshing out the character details. He is the one who deepened this story by adding some background for Seska and Chicote, and, well, you know, stay tuned. This was directed by Robert Shearer. We haven't seen Robert's name in the credits in a while. He directed 11 episodes of TNG going back to the second season with the, well, incredible The Measure of a Man. And he had just one credit on DS9. That would be Shadow Play from that show's second season. He got a start as a performer in the early 1940s and switched into directing by the 1960s, racking up a huge number of TV credits 
um, no less than 30 episodes of Love Boat. And he did manage to squeeze in one episode of Kolchak, the Night Stalker. You're welcome. He'll be back for one more Voyager episode in the director's seat. Now, I love a good location shoot especially when that location is just a couple of miles off the road from Paramount. That's Bronson Canyon that we see in the opening of this episode, frequently used in Star Trek and any number of TV shows and movies. We got some location shooting here without breaking the budget, since the majority of this episode takes place on our existing sets, with just a few exceptions, like seeing some Kazon stuck in their own hardware. Now, that was a tricky effect to pull off. So the production actually contracted with an outside vendor to help pull that off. And it's interesting. You see in interviews, the producer saying, you know, what, what we were really going for was that whole Han Solo stuck in carbonite look. So they wanted to replicate that a little bit when we see our poor, unfortunate Kazon. Let's talk about our guest stars. Welcome back, of course, to Josh Clark as Lieutenant Carey. And welcome back to Martha Hackett taking the center stage as Seska. And we meet a new Kazon in this episode. Say hello to Anthony DeLongis as Kala. Here making his first of six appearances on Voyager, Anthony is best known for what he puts together off screen for what makes actors look good on screen and on stage. He is a weapons expert, a stage combat trainer, fight coordinator, and it's about guaranteed that you have seen multiple of the movies that he has worked on training some of the biggest stars in the world, like, for example, helping Harrison Ford get back into the swing of things as Indiana Jones wielding a whip, just as he did, by the way, for Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. But Anthony is on screen a lot, too. And in fact, his genre performances go way back. You can catch him in the 1970s TV series Logan's Run and Battlestar Galactica, Fast forward a bit to find him in V, and later on, of course, Babylon 5. He has pretty much done it all, and he still is. John, I wanted to jump in here for a second to give us a crossover, an early crossover between a Voyager cast member and Anthony Jalongis in 1987 during Masters of the Universe. Oh, 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 yes, of course. Our own young, adorable Robbie McNeil. He played uh, Kevin. He played Courtney yes. Cox's boyfriend. And yes. there was a scene where Anthony DeLonge's character, Blade, tortures Kevin for information. So in a weird way, that was their very first Voyager crossover. Come, come full circle. In the finest Star Trek tradition, we now join a story already in progress in which a gift of soup is angrily rejected. You have been warned. Prologue. Commander Chakotay and his away team are hard at work, searching for food sources that will help stock Voyager's dwindling larders. Lieutenant Carey, excited about an orchard of apples that he's discovered nearby, is quickly educated by Neelix regarding the dangers of judging a fruit by its skin. In fact... It is because of the ugly and twisted yet vitamin-rich and versatile Leola root, which is why Neelix brought them to this planet in the first place. Back on Voyager, Tuvok informs Captain Janeway that he's discovered an orbiting ship that slipped past his sensors using masking technology. A polarine burst reveals the silhouette of a Kazon warship of the Nistrum sect. Janeway orders Chakotay and all hands on the planet immediately back to Voyager. 
Chakotay locates Seska picking mushrooms in a nearby cave, and while trying to leave, they are fired upon by several Kazan soldiers who injure Chakotay, but are fended off by Seska, who manages to get the both of them out of the cave. Act 1. In his quarters, Chakotay is recovering from his wounds and is visited by Seska, who is carrying a tureen of Chakotay's favorite food, mushroom soup. Seska glibly confesses that she and a few other Maquis stole the food supplies for the soup from Neelix's kitchen, which immediately outrages Chakotay, forcing him to punish everyone involved with this crime, including himself for eating the stolen supplies. Seska confesses that she did all of this because of how she feels about him, and as she leaves, Captain Janeway orders all senior staff to the bridge. Voyager has intercepted a distress call from a nearby Kazon Nistrum ship, identical to the one Tuvok discovered a short time ago. Neelix warns Janeway that the Nistrum sect is one of the most violent in the Kazon Collective. Taking his warning into consideration, Janeway orders Voyager to offer assistance. Shortly after beaming aboard the Kazon vessel, Tuvok, Balana, Chakotay, and Siska discover that a catastrophic accident has fused several Kazon into the ship's bulkheads and that a radiation force field prevents them from investigating technology that may be Federation-based. Siska discovers one surviving Kazon who was beamed directly to sickbay. The doctor reports that the Kazon's blood cells are fused with metallic nuclei and will require new blood, meaning donors. Meanwhile, in a private turbolift meeting, Tuvok informs Janeway of the possibility of a traitor on board Voyager who may be funneling Federation technology to the Kazon, and that Seska is the prime suspect since she was the only one who was in the cave at the same time with the Kazon. Act 2. Torres' engineering staff is hard at work teching the tech to try and retrieve the technology on the Kazon ship. Carrie's plan is to create a maneuverable force field, a bubble to envelope the console from the radiation. His is the most viable plan, but will take at least a day for which to prepare. And yes, Captain Janeway, a day. As duties are assigned, Chakotay orders Seska to perform hers on the bridge. She's incensed at his decision, but he explains it's the only way to prove that she's not a traitor because he wouldn't recommend her for bridge duty if she weren't trustworthy. Trying to make sense of that double negative, Seska storms away from Chakotay and into sickbay, where she is now preoccupied with the bedridden Kazon. Kess, who is currently screening all crewmen for potential blood donors, asks about Seska's lack of hers in the database. Seska explains away that a rare Bajoran disease would make her donation useless anyway, but would return to donate a sample sometime later. While Tuvok and Chakotay continue their investigation into the possible stolen Federation console, Tom informs the captain that another Kazon ship is on approach and will reach them in just over four hours. And when it rains, it pours, as Harry informs Janeway that someone beamed over to the Kazon ship. It's Seska, who, over the comm system for all to hear, tells Chakotay that she's there to retrieve the console for the captain. Investigator Tuvok believes she may be there to destroy evidence instead. However, all of their speculation will have to wait, as Seska is transported directly into sickbay after being pulled out in the nick of time as her protective force field collapsed. Act 3. Lieutenant Carey is called into Janeway's ready room, where he is seated while flanked by Tuvok and Chakotay. Janeway reminds all in the room that Carey was passed over for promotion and that he may still harbor hard feelings towards Bolana. After vehemently defending his character and honor, Carrie is dismissed, but not before throwing Seska under the bus, which still causes Chakotay to bristle at the thought of her being used simply as the proverbial Maquis wolf in Federation clothing. Back on the bridge, the Kazon ship makes contact with Voyager as First Maj Kala of the Kazon Nistrum makes his presence known. 
Both he and Janeway agree to a truce of sorts as Kulla and his attache beam over to Voyager to assess the status of the Kazon ship and its sole survivor. While in sickbay, the doctor is discussing how he is proceeding with his treatments. Kulla asks if he could have a moment of privacy with his kinsman. And before Tuvok could intervene, Kulla's bodyguard activates a hidden needle from his ring and injects the Kazon patient with some kind of neurotoxin, killing him instantly. Janeway has Kulla and his second escorted off Voyager, and if that wasn't problem enough for her, the hits just keep on coming, as Kess and the doctor tell the captain that Seska's blood markers aren't Bajoran, but are in fact Cardassian. Act 4. Beside himself with disbelief, Chakotay is struggling to come to the realization that Seska isn't who she appears to be. However, Tuvok reminds him that this isn't the first time Cardassians have cosmetically altered themselves to infiltrate enemy ranks. Chakotay needs to hear it for himself, and especially from her. Meanwhile, as Janeway prepares to send Bellana to the Kazon ship to finally retrieve the contraband technology, Maj Kulla threatens the captain with such an impressive act of bravado and aggression that Janeway can't help but eye-roll to the point of vertigo in response. In other words, her tactical response was enough for Kulla to back off. Bellana was able to quickly retrieve the console, return it to Voyager, and have it analyzed for structural markers that even identified the technology as having bioneural circuitry, which not only makes it Federation technology, but specifically Voyager's tech, and even more specifically, reconfigured as a food replicator. Later in sickbay, Chakotay confronts Seska about these two massive revelations that have been brought to light, of her being a Cardassian spy, and who has been secretly funneling Voyager's technology to the Kazon. Seska assures Chakotay beyond a shadow of a doubt that it isn't her, going so far as referencing Orchid's disease as the biological catastrophe she suffered as a child, which forced her to accept Cardassian bone marrow transplants to survive. Even so, Chakotay leaves Seska with the knowledge that both she and Carrie are still under investigation, and that their logs are suspect and will be searched. After meeting with Tuvok in the causeway, Chakotay informs him that the trap has been set. Act 5 Nothing makes the time pass waiting for a criminal to make a mistake like a good game of gin. But when they finally get a hit on their surveillance logs, it appears that whoever is accessing and manipulating the inventory requisitions is using Seska's security codes. It appears that Lieutenant Carey is their prime suspect once again. When Chakotay returns to sickbay with the news of the true identity of the traitor, Seska is taken aback when Chakotay accuses her of being the actual traitor, that she was responsible for supplying the Kazan with technology, for covering her tracks, for falsifying logs, and in this case, logs that were manipulated from her sickbay terminal. Game Chakotay. The doctor is also summoned to testify that regardless of her tale about suffering Orchid's disease, Seska is in fact biologically Cardassian. Set Chakotay. At this time, Captain Janeway and Tuvok arrive to deal with Seska. However, when pressed as to why, why she would do this, side with the Kazon and betray her crew, Seska looks directly at Janeway, with venom in her eyes, accusing Janeway of being soft, of placing Federation values over the lives of her crew, and not embracing the power and allies like the Kazon, who in exchange for a little bit of technology, could provide the alliance they need to get home. No matter, as Seska shows little concern, because with a command, she disappears from her medical bed via transporter beam onto a nearby Kazon ship. Janeway is informed that several other Kazon warships are also closing in, and she orders Voyager for an immediate retreat. Seska's day in court will have to wait. Match. Seska. Later, in the commissary, 
Chakotay finds Tuvok in his usual corner spot, away from the commiserating. Chakotay admits that he's been laid low, that his confidence has been tested, and wonders if Tuvok thinks he's naive and easy to deceive. Tuvok admits that even Seska got the better of him as well, which, albeit illogical to Tuvok, makes Chakotay feel a little bit better about his own shortcomings. The End all right, nicely done, Norman. And uh, here we go. First of all, deadly fruit, that deadly apple-ish thing. Immediately, I don't know if it jumped into your mind, but the way to Eden oh, yeah. jumped into my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those, yeah. Homage or not, yeah, definitely. It, 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 sure. it felt yeah. like that. And then maybe a little bit disappointing that that, that fancy exotic uh, Leola root is uh, ginger that had been spray-painted. <laughs> yeah, so if, uh, yeah. say, if, if Robert actually ate a prop... Yeah, I would spit yeah. it out too. Sure. Yeah, well, because just raw ginger is. Uh, yeah, I got a mouthful of that. That's that a bit much. You know, usually have to have to prep it a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, um, and then I, I did have to wonder. You know, bloodworm tartar. They uh, get the call from the ship. Are there any signs of life? You know, oh, just the bloodworms that uh, Neelix wants to make a tartar out of. And I just, I look. I don't know much about uh, exobiology, but I'm going to say that bloodworms are probably something that you want to stay away from no matter what because then you're just going to send a whole bunch of crew members to sick bay like oh what is, oh it's bloodworms again well yeah you did eat bloodworms mm-hmm. and now guess what they're in your blood is it bloodworm so. tuesday it's bloodworm tuesday stay blood out of the commissary tuesday. yeah you don't want to <laughs> yeah, go there yeah. exactly exactly the kazon ship that's cloaked quote unquote cloaked in yeah. uh orbiting the planet so are we saying that tom's eyes are better than Tuvox sensors that can't detect an ion trail from that ship? Is that what we're saying? Okay, so this is one of those things always <laughs> going back to the way that a starship works. And you just think that, like, if you're in a starship and it has all of these sensors, like, I want them on all, all. the time. <laughs> yeah. So if you have an ion sensor, you've got a uh, polarity sensor, you have electromagnetic sensors, infrareds. They should just be on all the time hmm. and then if a thing uh, let's call it an anomaly <laughs> if a thing breaks up what that sensor normally looks at then that's probably where you should direct your attention right leave yeah. kind of like all your recording devices on just in yeah. case yeah yeah you can go, if there's a whole lot of nothing you can just go back and erase that if you need the hard drive space right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm a stickler for things like this because they start setting up world building nomenclature like in this episode mm-hmm. so you have apples that are called kalos you know this is yeah. what neelix is telling us you yeah. have uh, ginger that's called Layola root so we're mm-hmm. building things and then you yeah. have mushrooms which are called mushrooms <laughs> are they mushrooms though uh, right? right well okay i guess if we gave them the benefit of the doubt you could say that any fungus that grows like that would be a mushroom Maybe. I, I was just hoping that they were fighting over something that Neelix named as something like, oh, you can fight over this, but it will make you go insane if you turn this into a soup. So you might not want, <laughs> right. you know, because he did warn off Carrie. It's like, hey, look, Carrie, eat it. looks like an apple, but you're going to be, you know, urinating razor blades you know, right, right. when you're done yeah. with this. So maybe yeah. not an apple. So I don't know. Nitpicking. Good call. 
Good yeah. call. What is Chakotay carving when he is in recovery? It looks like a stone tablet of some kind, with, and he's creating mm. glyphs of some kind in it. Is it is it a healing glyph? Is it? I don't know. Is he is he practicing his gin rummy technique? <laughs> that maybe that's it. Maybe yeah. No, that that's a very good question. I yeah. Hmm. You'd think they'd they'd uh, point that out, but I I think the gin rummy thing is probably a little little closer. Now, I do have to point this out because we are talking about the mushroom soup. Very excited that we are introduced to a new piece of dinnerware. That is the space terrine. It is a terrine for soup from space. It is a space terrine. Now, normally, look, I would expect them to ladle that soup into some space bowls, but I do have to assume that those were space spoons that they're using to eat out of the space terrine. Supplied by Champion Catering, obviously. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Let me ask you this. Were you surprised at all about the reference to the prior romance between Chakotay and Seska, or or especially that she had her eye on Kim? I mean, that could have just been a diversion. She was kind of throwing that out there to mess with him. But uh, just kind of your gut reaction. How do you you feel about that Seska-Chakotay reveal? I mean, there there could have been something there. Going all the way back to Parallax, you know, she even said that, you know, we'll mutiny for you. So there's some kind of loyalty that's there. Maybe they're hinting at something there. But yeah. more surprisingly, how did she, if there is a relationship there, which seems to have been the case, especially the way that she kind of embraced him from behind, you know, rubbing his chest in a very sensual way. Mm-hmm. If you know that, if you know someone that well, then why don't you know that he would have been immediately upset about stolen food? If you know someone that well, yes. that's a, that's a part of their character. Yes. So yeah. again, no, no, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, a little weird yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we might come but come back to that. <gasps> the, the soup is important here. The soup is important. <laughs> Another thing that we learned here: a replicator without the right shielding, pretty dangerous. Kind of like say a microwave oven without the right shielding can be very dangerous. So, or you know, if you're reheating your soup uh, with say like an aluminum foil top on it, that's no good. Like. You know, at worst, you start a little fire. Well, I say at best, you start a little fire. At worst, you end up embedded in your walls because of, you know, something you, you misused your, uh, you, your microwave. Or you can annihilate gremlins, right? Because a gremlin explodes oh, in a true. microwave. Very really true. Well. Very true. Yeah, don't forget that. So mm-hmm. we did make a little bit of a pun at the beginning saying the reintroduction of the Kazon, but... <laughs> The line that Janeway says midway in this episode where she said, besides, this may be an opportunity to make a friend out here and we can use all the friends we can get. Did we forget about the Kazon from Caretaker? (laughs) Especially the one that says you have now made an enemy with the Kazon. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, just for everyone who's keeping score out there, put that one in the minus column. Long walks down long corridors. In mm-hmm. multiple cuts down long corridors and a stalled turbo lift, you know this is going to be massive basal exposition time. Very true. Okay, but I will give them credit. It's probably uh, a director thing, so uh, Bob Shearer gets the credit here. I do like that Tuvok is starting the explanation as they get to the turbo lift. They turn, Janeway gives the command to go to the bridge, and then... Tuvok is still talking, as we see from the outside, the door is closing, then we cut to the inside. So it, it, it's, it's kind of an obvious thing, but it, like, it's a good way to at least keep that 
Basil Exposition moving. <laughs> you know, I, I do uh, got to give a shout out to Bellana here. When I say tomorrow, I mean tomorrow. I don't exaggerate. Bellana definitely not trying to earn the reputation as a miracle worker. Loved it. Loved that yes, line. Yes, love yeah. that line. Uh, but I do have to wonder, like, if she finishes early, uh, does she just take a break? Because, you know, don't want to set a false expectation like the next time you're going to finish early. Yeah. Not, to, not to jump the timeline, because I don't mm-hmm. think I am. But okay. I guess that Bellana doesn't believe in buffer time. Ooh, yeah. Very true. She could learn a thing or two about buffer time. I yeah. think I'm in the same timeline. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, that's questionable. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Forgive me. Um, Please, no emails. So as you know, we're watching Voyager, and it's original aspect ratio of 4 by 3 and that means sometimes blocking for TV is a little less than realistic. There's that shot of Janeway, Tuvok, and Chakotay talking about Seska in the ready room, and it's a private conversation, and it, it, it's in hushed tones, and it's intimate, although they are alone, and the door is closed. So I don't have that much to worry about, but it's literally Janeway facing Tuvok and they are separated only by the width of Chakotay's shoulders. <laughs> and they are so close. They like, it is uncomfortably close. Mm-hmm. And yet there they are having that. I, three of us need to reenact that sometime just so we can feel how uncomfortable that is to have a conversation like that. But then look, it can't be that quiet because at, at a later point they're out on the bridge and they're just talking about it. Like, oh, look, hey, yeah, uh, that that's suspect. <laughs> you right. know? Yeah. It, it's odd, like, what happens behind Janeway's closed red room doors. Because the blocking when, when Carrie came in for his mm-hmm. interrogation, it's almost like a mob hit, right? Because you had... You know, yeah, he came right, in and kind of right. he kind of skulked in, sat down in front of Janeway, a la Godfather. Then all of a sudden you had, like, Tuvok and Chakotay flank him right at his chair. And I'm like, Wow. Right. It's so uncomfortable. And maybe that's the point, but it was really cramped in the yeah. blocking on that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, they, they, they made an impression that this was important, like mm-hmm. him either confessing or trying to find information about stolen Federation technology in the hands of the Kazon, that kind of important. So, yeah. Why not just mind meld with Carrie? Thank you. There you go. They did yeah. that to try and prove Tom's innocence in ex post facto. Excuse me, ex post facto. <laughs> and you know, Inspector yeah. Tuvok decided to dust off his mind meld fingers and go for it. Why not yeah. here? Why not now? Yeah, yeah. And you know, he, uh, obviously, Carrie can consent to that, and he he's got nothing to lose because he he's innocent. You know, right? Yeah, I, I do have to wonder. There was a fun bit of blocking and editing, uh, a bit of a delayed reaction when that Kazon exposes his poison ring and goes in for the for the <laughs> neck. You know, like Look out. so. Yeah, yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. You you see the cut to Tuvok, and then you see him pull the phaser, but then they're all just right there. Like it, it's it. It's like they build the tension, and yet it feels very slow at the same time. It's but so weird. It is. It is. But I love, love it. Janeway is not super present in this episode, but when she is, oh, man, does she just own the screen. And as her saying, get off this ship, just sends chills up my spine. Kate has delivery like no other. True enough. I love poison ring tropes so yeah seeing this was like interesting <laughs> yeah. and fun and medieval in a yeah. you know, 23rd yeah. century setting yeah but here's the strange thing though and the okay. funny thing and i think it's the best line in the episode so chakotay says this to tuvok 
Mm. You were working for her. Seska was working for them. Was anyone aboard that ship working for me? <laughs> Poor Chakotay. I know. It's like it's like a joke. And I could almost see like Beltran like yeah. completely guffawing like as soon as that cut's done. And so he walks away from the turbo lift doors or the or the uh, just the door enclosure, you know, off, off screen. Yeah. But it's true. The poor guy just got – he's just getting exposed for being – I wouldn't say negligent, but, uh, yeah. you know, just being used. Uh, yeah, right. That's right. terrible. It is. Now, I always get a laugh out of plastic surgery on Star Trek. I mean, I, I love how extensive and how convincing and how easy it can be. You know, it just literally change somebody's species, you know. The the funny thing to me is you can also have blood from a different species as well. You could just, like, presumably, of course, it's all a lie here, but presumably, oh, yeah, well, you know, I got a bone marrow transfusion from somebody from a totally different species. So, you know, it, it worked. It changed my genetic markers a little bit. Change your genetic markers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we always play fast and loose with that. Oh, man. Another Janewayism. I don't like bullies. I don't like threats. And I don't like you, Kala. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. She just, man, she just chews that scenery in the most beautiful way. And I think in this episode, or at least so far in Voyager for me, the one character that has really kind of you know, uh, brought that same level of intensity into mm-hmm. her performance is Martha Hackett as Seska mm. when she fired all of those daggers like mm. at, at Janeway for being weak and being, you know, complicit mm-hmm. and, you know, not taking this whole, you know, venture into the Delta Quadrant seriously enough to get home. I'm like, wow, just, yeah, she monologued like a, a perfect villain, almost too good. I'll bring that up a little mm. bit later, but okay. right now, I, I just love like her agency over her character and how convicted that she is. The conviction that she has with her dialogue is so good. It's 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 Kate good, I think. Nice, nice, nice. All right, let's also talk about good and very interesting lines. Here's Tuvok. I was honest to my convictions within the defined parameters of my mission. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. For the second time now, even after you got the Janeway speech, Tuvok just knows how to play fast and loose with logic and, quote, truth, unquote. Man, Vulcans, I I love them, but they're so infuriating. This is the level of, like, Obi-Wan telling Luke, uh, it it was true from a certain point of view. (laughs) Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was true. Just it just got on the same page with me here, and then you'll see how true it is. Right. Uh, but I, I do, I do love <laughs> his his follow up line in that. How may I be honest with you today? That that is such a great line. We should all use that at some point. Maybe that should be uh, on a t shirt. You know, it should be like on on apples. You know, on their service shirts, you know, for people like, how may I be honest with be you honest today with you. Yeah, at the Genius yeah. Bar? Because I love they that. Want to. That's good. Or, or I want that on a coffee mug. You know, it just, it, yeah, it, it somehow fits. Oh, that's the perfect, that's literally like the perfect t-shirt for a convention. Yeah. So uh, one last thing, John. Mm-hmm. I, I did bring up in an episode or two ago that Transporter Room 3 is the transporter that has a transporter chief working it, so they have security and biofilters, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that, that is the hot transporter room. If you right. want to go anywhere, you want to go to Transporter Room 3. But Seska uses Transporter Room 2 and Ooh. escapes custody yeah. with the beam out, with yeah. the lock that protects her against the computer so that she can't uh, be captured. Let me ask you something. Yeah. So... Logic Police and Inspector Tuvok mm-hmm. is security chief on this station. So why can't he 
lock out the ship <laughs> for these things to not happen? Tuvok, you had one job. You had one job, Tuvok. Just think of all the things the Kazons could make with a replicator, like shampoo. Let's start with shampoo. Please start with shampoo. We'll get right back to State of Flux, but first a word from this week's sponsor, Collide. You know, John, if you got Slack. I got Slack. And you and if you got, got Max, get Collide. Collide is device security that fixes challenging problems by messaging your users on Slack if you got a Mac. So try Collide today. Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees... Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Think about how nice that is. You can just send a message, Slack does its thing, boom, and your employees get the message and they don't have to bother all their IT people and go through a lot of uh, rigmarole. So here's what you do. Mm. You visit collide.com slash mission log to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash mission log. Enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. Now at Collide, they know that end users are IT admin's most significant untapped resource and the key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including, here's the top three, okay, you ready? Instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys. Or how about this? Finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely. Or here we go convincing employees to uninstall evil, evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. Try it out at collide.com slash mission log. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash mission log. All right, Norman, I smell a conspiracy on board, Voyager, and it smells like mm-hmm. soup. Delicious. <laughs> De- delicious conspiracy. Delicious conspiracy that tastes like mushroom mm-hmm. soup served in a space terrine. I, I have to say, I, I really appreciate Chakotay's moral outrage over the soup. Ooh, moral outrage. Outrage energy. Moral outrage yes. energy over mushroom soup. It's a, he's right. Even if he's, even if you can make the case that he's slightly overreacting, and I'm curious if you think he is slightly overreacting. And, and indeed, he would put the conspirators in the brig. Like he has gone from Maquis to straight, like straight edge Starfleet dude in a pretty short period of time. And I think it's all that Starfleet training coming back and just just locking into place because now the circumstances are different in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, what would what really is the right course of action here, though? Would like if he did that, <laughs> if he threw a bunch of soup conspirators in the brig, does that send a chilling effect throughout the crew? 
would everyone feel like their senior officers were humorless and out to get them over the smallest infraction? I mean, again, I'm on Chakotay's side here, but but what is the right balance? It was such a strange reaction because <laughs> up until this point, I'm not saying that he's wrong and I'm yeah. not saying that you know there's a course of action here. Of course, there was a, there's a dis- disciplinary course of action that can be taken, but it was so extreme because it was so out of left field. Yeah. Nothing so far in Chakotay's history either assumed or performed explains such an extreme reaction like this. Yeah. That's why it's so strange because Chakotay could have easily have laid out the letter of the law of what he thought it was right during emanations and like, no, this is the Starfleet code of how we're supposed to handle first contact with this species. Even though the species is dead, this is a graveyard. This is how I'm going to do it. If you don't, I'm going to bring you up on charges, the Starfleet way. We didn't see that. And that was probably his biggest opportunity to actually flex a little bit of his authority. Mm -hmm. So over a soup terrain and over kind of like a minor infraction, he really does kind of go Richter on the disciplinary side. I mean, he does have the point because like if you let something like this go, I mean, particularly with a precious commodity like food, you know, they are stuck out there in the middle of nowhere. Food is... Food is going to be the second most important thing. The most important thing is charting a course home. Second most important thing right. is food. A, a, a you know a happy crew is a fed crew. So you got to do that. At the same time, it's like okay, Chakotay, you are the guy who broke rank with Starfleet to go join the Maquis. <laughs> so you know some of the moralizing uh, might might now now here's the thing he could have overheard Neelix and Janeway when she was ready to go replicate a cup of coffee and Neelix is like you got to set an example can't can't just do that no. mm-hmm. totally I, I get that the strange thing about kind of like this quote unquote real world situation that Voyager's in is that, you know, Janeway has said this time and again, like, I don't really have the space or the capacity or the the energy or the resources to throw people in the brig. I can't even try you out here. I need everyone. Yeah. She's kind of over a barrel, right? Yeah. Because she needs everyone hands on doing their job to get home. So when you start threatening people with taking them off the job, yeah. is it really a threat? Well, see, and, and that's the thing. Maybe the right thing is to say, this is wrong. This is terrible. You have to go to Neelix and apologize. And it, you, you pull the Janeway and it's like, I need you on the job. Don't ever do this again. I will come after you the next time. Now you and do what? Yeah, but, but now you have to make this right for everybody. Yeah. And do what is really the question. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's 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 no danger of, say, a Tom Paris going to New Zealand and getting thrown in a maximum security prison, yeah. you know, on the land of the long white cloud, which is terrible, obviously, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> New Zealand in prison, how bad could it be? Sign me you up. Know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. Like, there was prison. Yeah. You know, there were consequences. There are repercussions for bad actions of which Janeway can take no actionable um, consequence against well, okay, he, you know, so or, he, he can take away replicator rations. He could take away uh, holodeck time. But what does that do? Uh, well, they got to eat Neelix's right? crappy I mean. food. They got to eat that uh, that ginger well, see, root. That would be funny. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I think that something would have been interesting. Like away teams are essentially penalties against you know these infractions. Ooh, there we go. Yeah, go. doing the manual labor, doing load lift, because you don't want to use energy for manual labor. You want to use 
labor for manual labor. So things that are backbreaking, things that are uncomfortable, things that people are like, you know what, we should use technology, but we can't yeah. because we have an energy issue. So yeah, I got stuck with mop and floor. I got stuck with lower deck stuff. Peeling potatoes. Yeah. Peeling potatoes. Yeah. yeah. All right. right. I get that. All right. Uh, so let's move on because there's something, though, that I um, I do think about when we have episodes like this. And, and let me preface it by saying that you know, part of the the thing that you accept with a TV show with an episode like this is you you have to move the plot along. You have to have certain things that are obfuscated so that they can be revealed to surprise the other characters and surprise the audience. However, there are episodes like this where I can't help but think about things like privacy and technology in the 24th century and how all this stuff works. Because, as we all know, Star Trek famous, famously consistent in its inconsistency. <laughs> you know, there are security details that that absolutely save the day, and there are security details that completely fall apart because, like, you know, on DS9, there's, there's no security cameras. Odo has no idea what's going on in certain places on the station at any, any given time. Now, Seska, let, let, let's look at Seska's journey here for a minute. She has been able to infiltrate the Maquis as a Bajoran. Now, to what end exactly, I'm not totally sure, but whatever, she did. Has been able to serve on a Starfleet ship now for a while. Has, well, been beamed up and back how many times, we don't know, has avoided basic medical work, has sent and received messages on any number of computer terminals around Voyager. I mean, we barely had any time to do anything with the Kazon as it is, and nobody ever thought to look. <laughs> like, this, you know, this kind of goes back <laughs> yeah. to what you were saying about Tuvok and, and his negligence of the transporter rooms site. That, that one room, three, that is locked down. Like, man... You just you, you better hope that if anybody's doing anything illegal, they're doing it in transporter room three. One and two, mm-hmm. <laughs> we won't mention. There might there might be a four and a five that we don't even know about, you know? Party Central. Tuvok. That's where the soup is. Tuvok, yeah, Tuvok might even know right, about yeah. those, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I, I guess and you, you do have to, at least I do, I wonder about the protocols that are in place. So, you know, we've joked before about how seemingly anybody in a ship can just ask for personal logs. Oh, just play back that personal log for me. So what what good then is it to have a personal log? You can delete it if it's yours, but apparently anybody else can play it back. And I guess in a situation like this, the Voyager computer doesn't automatically flag any communication that looks suspicious. And and similarly, like with the transporter, like I guess you don't look at those logs unless something goes wrong. So there's this there's all this technology that can see so much, but I guess you don't have it automated to the point that it could red flag something and you're relying on that people power to make a good judgment about what actually deserves attention or not. Yeah, these are kind of like these weird dynamics. Like we're, we're applying kind of like what we think would be like real-time uh, uh, responsibilities, you know, that are, are not being addressed. And I think that with the Seska character, it, I think that if we established her being a little bit more consistent with her espionage work, it would be a lot more believable when it comes to someone who is untraceable or knows how to get around protocols. But that's kind of like where I'm at with Se- – I think Seska is great. I think she's a great character. I think Martha Hackett is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm a little smitten with her, to be honest yeah. with you. 
But the problem with Seska and the problem with what you're talking about is the inconsistency of how these are used as trap doors to facilitate the plot. She's really well written in some cases and really terribly written in other cases. I mean, think about it this way. Look how good she is with, like you said, being able to falsify information to get around and cover her tracks. She can falsify logs. She knows security protocols. She can lock out the security chief from his own protocols. And yet she can't change the database in in uh, sick bay to hide her blood markers when she had every opportunity to do it. She could have created the most airtight, locked down origin story that nobody would suspect yeah. ever. And she didn't. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. She she did not. Well, uh, okay. But look, th- this all kind of goes back to. Well, this is really the the central question of all of this. What actually is Seska's goal now? Because, mm-hmm. all right, suppose from the very beginning, all right, the, the caretaker is blown up, they're heading off, and let's say she comes clean with Captain Janeway and the rest of the crew. Okay. It's probably going to be very uncomfortable for her, at least for a time. By the way... I'm not really Bajoran. I'm a Cardassian. I'm infiltrating the Maquis. Ha ha. Jokes on you, Chakotay. Again, you got fooled twice. <laughs> you know, it's very. I'm so naive. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> it's very, very uncomfortable for them for a while, right? But but apparently she's a pretty good officer and, and she knows what she's doing on board. She's a contributing member of the team. So other than being angry at Janeway's decision, what does she actually gain? Because there's nobody. I, look, the Kazon don't even have a transporter uh, or, or not a transporter, a uh, replicator. So right. what good is it? What does she actually gain by throwing in with them that isn't better served by what's happening on Voyager? So her goal here is a bit questionable. I mean, she can be angry. She can feel cheated by Janeway. She can feel resentment towards Starfleet. I, I get all of that. I, she's walking around with this huge chip on her shoulder, which is a smaller shoulder now that it's Bajoran and not Cardassian. But hey, yeah. but mm-hmm. I, I I don't. It, this is at best a lateral move for her. At best. I think what happened, especially in a 15-episode season, that they, I think that the card was played, her card was played too quickly in the overall un- unraveling or unfolding of kind of like her story. This should have easily been something that was a series finale, like something that you're like, dun, 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 Seska's Cardassian? Oh my, what? Yeah, right, 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 right. right. So I think that I don't... I don't know what's going to happen next, or I don't remember at least. And because I'm never going to say that I've never seen this series ever in my life, because someone like <laughs> one of our listeners, Dom, will find that yeah. you did, Norm. Yeah. And now, well, but no, but, but the, the point is this so, I mean, like, this is the place that we've gotten in this series. And if we were watching this in real time when this episode was brand new, like, that's all the information that you're given. Like, that is the end of this mm-hmm. story. Now, right. uh, yes, of course, you, you can look ahead and you can see that there may be more to come, but that is a ways down the road. 
this is what we're given. This is where this character is right now. And where this character is right now, like, look, I, I honestly was, uh, I, I thought her, uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, her, her statement about her brother who was having a birthday and she's going to miss it. I thought it was very moving. It was very touching. Was yeah, good. it was very good stuff, you know. But uh, maybe she was referring to her, her Cardassian brother, <laughs> you know. Who knows? True. Who knows? But there doesn't seem to be a huge gain for her. And certainly the whole crew knows so little about the Kazon at this point. Like, why would you just automatically assume that that is the better bet? You know? Actually forgotten more than they realize. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, so here's a big issue that I have with this episode. It seems that no one remembers who the Kazon are. Really? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like every single time someone says, especially Janeway, she's like, well, let's make friends. Or, well, if they had replicator technology, just think what it would do for them. Mm-hmm. She saw that happen to the Kazon on the, you know, on the, on the planet on the, where the caretaker yeah, sent, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, homeworld. on the Akampa yeah. homeworld. You saw that happen. Yeah. You know that the Kazon swore being enemies with you. Don't you think that that would like translate like wildfire or spread like wildfire to all of their different sects that there's an enemy of the Kazon that has great technology. So why are we like treating them like, Oh my gosh, we're friends. Okay. And here's the most ridiculous thing (laughs) in this episode. And I know that you, you give uh, Kate, Uh the actress, you know, not, not Catherine, but Kate kind of like the credit for saying, get off my ship. They watched a Kazon murder their only witness to a crime. Throw them in the brig. And they let them Throw go. Them in the brig. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so here's like, seriously, here's like the series of events that happened. A needle comes out mm-hmm. of Kula's aide's yep. ring. He shoves it into the fallen Kazon's yeah. neck. <laughs> Tuvok apprehends him at phaser point. Yep. Janeway holds Kula off at phaser point. And then the doctor said he's dead by neurotoxin. And then Janeway says, get him off my ship. They have murderers red-handed in their sick bay. And they watch them kill somebody. And they let him go? Yeah, that's a poor choice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's their guy. But at this point, their guy is on a Starfleet ship and potentially the, and under current yeah, investigation. The, the only witness to uh, unraveling this mystery. Yeah. Like, I lost my mind when I saw that. I was like, <laughs> Tuvok, I'm like, seriously, you're not going to put up a fight and say, uh, Captain, they just killed our lead witness to my investigation. At least we could question them. But no, Janeway wants to make friends. With the Kazon that they know aren't friendly since Caretaker. Yeah, uh, yep, very true. So, uh, Who is supervising these scripts right now? <laughs> they needed to uh, revisit their own history with the Kazon, which is pretty short at that point. Yeah. Mission Log listeners, have you sent in your proof of purchase to get the Kazon secret decoder and killing people ring? The big question is at the end of the episode, soup for John or no soup for John? (laughs) (laughs) Very true. No no, no Uh, soup for me. We're at the end here. We're at the end of State of Flux. A lot of flux going on in this episode. Your mileage may vary. But at the end, as we always do, we take a look at it and see if the episode withstands the test of time. 
and then go even deeper and see if there are any morals or meanings or messages that we have learned from this episode. So, John, let's talk about state of flux. Are you in flux? Are are you satisfied with your soup? If you got any, where are we? At? Uh, well, you know, kind of like uh, what you said, uh, Norbert. You know, what what the flux is really? You know, where, where we are with this? Yeah. Well done, sir. Yeah. yeah. Well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, when we ask the question, does this episode hold up? This is a tough question to answer, partly because. For me, I don't know about your experience coming into this one, but I already knew that there was something up with Seska, but I didn't remember all the details. So maybe partly I'm looking at this and thinking, all right, the replay value on this episode is rather low. And that that prevents me from making a really fair assessment of our singular question here, does the episode hold up? Now, that said... What I appreciate, where I can give them props, is that we've got another mystery episode, but this time it's actually relevant to the overall premise of Voyager. Now, you and I came down really hard on ex post facto because uh, it deserved it, (laughs) but it it was a whodunit totally stripped of context uh, of what makes Voyager unique. And that was the partly the problem with that episode. There were many other problems, but that was a huge glaring problem with that episode. So now we have another Inspector Tuvok episode, but at least it feels relevant to the very unique plight of what's happening with the Voyager crew. My problem, though, is that it feels like their hands get tipped right from the beginning. And uh, to me, anyway, I I couldn't help but suspect Seska because there's all the obvious evidence pointed to her. So as a mystery episode, I don't know that it was really that satisfying. The performances are good. The direction is fine. But does it hold up? Okay, so now actually I'm going to defer. I'm not going to answer that question because I don't think I can. I'm going to ask that question to our audience. Mm-hmm. Did you, the audience, did you see the reveal coming, whether you saw it in the 90s or you're just seeing it now for the first time? Does that affect your enjoyment of the episode, the surprise element? Does that make you appreciate it more or less? Is it just me thinking the replay value is bad? If it holds up for you, is it simply because the characters are are solid and there's a little more detail about their dynamic with the Kazon, or does it actually hold up as a script with a twist, you know, a mystery to be solved? Because I'm honestly not sure. I, I don't know what the right criteria is for me, and I don't know how I can accurately say that it holds up, because right now I'm I'm just sort of very ambivalent. It just feels like these are plot points that happened. We have this reveal about Seska. Nothing wrong with her. I agree with you. I think she's very good in this episode. Um, and I appreciate that it is tied to the overall. I mean, you, you have a very good point. Granted that their whole relationship with Kazon, who we haven't seen since the beginning, they just seem to have kind of forgotten, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. forgotten what was going on. But but regardless, it, at least it is tied to that. At least there's a, a callback that makes sense now. I don't know if I can accurately say if it holds up or not. Uh, but So what do you think? And then I, I leave that to our audience. Tell us how you would narrow down that question. I mean, we're very much on the same page here. And I mm-hmm. think the issue with this episode for me 
is that it doesn't really do anything, any one particular thing really, really well. Hmm. I think that there are a lot of very serviceable dynamics here of a procedural, like the whodunit or the misdirection type of episode. There are times, though, it's so clumsily told because it's so obvious where your direction and where your attention is supposed to be that it really does take away from some of the subtlety that could be built up with revealing Seska's character. Martha Hackett, I think, is fantastic in this. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's because she is really embracing the mustache-twirling villain at the end. Her her monologuing with Janeway was impressive. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, though, it's like, I'm going to tell you everything that I was able to do because you are all unable to stop me you know mm-hmm. it's a very mm-hmm. james bond villain type of way sure of, of expressing themselves before bond stops the nuke or you know at the 007 mark we all know that trope right so i think in the end you know without really doubling down on what you said i think in the end there are so many interesting things that are happening that we just don't care about because they just aren't they just don't really make an impact and I, I think that it's too bad that that Seska's reveal wasn't more of an impact, but you are so easily led down the path of, is it or is it not, that the subtlety needed to be there for you to have that payoff in the reveal. And it wasn't. It was, mm-hmm. it's Seska. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Until, yeah, it is. Big whoop. Who cares, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the thing for me that really does... Uh, it, it keeps me from saying, yeah, this is a great episode or this is an episode worth rewatching or, you know, things of that nature. It's the, it's the way that they handled the Kazon. They just didn't handle the Kazon in a way where it furthered the Kazon's agenda. Mm-hmm. The Kazon were just, what did you, what did you say, John? They are empty costumes in search of characters. <laughs> That's how I feel about the mirror universe. But yeah, right, so you're, a, you're applying that to the Kazon now too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a yeah. brilliant way of, and I'm not saying that Anthony's performance as Kulla was, I think his Kulla, uh, his Kulla is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just that they weren't building on the kind of threat that the Kazon were, were able to, to show in caretaker that they are coming, that they are out there and they are going to be pushing this narrative forward. The threat that's following and chasing Voyager throughout the Delta quadrant. Mm-hmm. But if you let something like a murder just go and not do anything about it, how much do you actually care about the dynamic between Janeway and Kulla? Right. Would uh, would that scene have potentially been saved for you if you know if the Kazon fought their way out? If there was some other like I know we can't do too many uh, escape by transporter tricks, um, but would that have been an opportunity where you feel like oh okay now the Kazon are actually going to fight for getting out of it because otherwise you know Janeway and Tuvok would have been perfectly justified and holding them at phaser point saying we're going to throw you in the brig. I think it would have been better served if the crime was discovered after the fact that instead of having great technology mm. on their side, mm-hmm. they have great subterfuge and guile. Kulla could have come in just being flamboyant mm-hmm. and boisterous and peacockish to the point where it's so distracting, no one knew it happened. Got it. Okay, you know, yeah. Until yeah. they were so far away, they were like they were right under our noses and we didn't even see it happen. That's how dangerous they could have made the case on. Okay. 
Instead, it's yeah. like, hey, look, there's a knife. <laughs> Stick. Oh, look, he's dead. Stick. Oh, look, we can't do anything but let them go. Yeah. Why do we care after that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I and mean, they become basically, again, the mustache-twirling villains, and that gets old yeah. really quickly. Yeah. Right? We've had that before in Star Trek. Yeah. And you're in the Delta Quadrant. Write a better villain. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. No, I think that's mm-hmm. fair. So uh, a- any other assessment of uh, of its value holding up? Not for me. Okay. I mean, it, it does kind of, it, it pushes a lot of plot points, obviously, forward. Yeah. But that does not make for a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. That That's I, I, that's where I'm stuck. It, it, it's like, mm-hmm. it is a perfectly acceptable episode from a technical point of view. But like, what are we actually getting out of it? And I, I don't know if... Um, its value is a murder. Well, slightly, the murder is not the it's mystery. It's not even really a is mystery. That, yeah, yeah, is it, it, yeah. <laughs> right? Is its value? What was its value better at a different time? So that, that's why I want other people to chime in. All right. Well, let's see if we did pick up anything here for morals, meanings, messages. I, I feel like I got very little, so I'm going to defer to you first, yeah. and then I'll uh, I'll wrap it up. I mean, I like that this episode is in in some way a continuation of. Uh, the, the study that we had with prime factors regarding principles versus priorities. But that you know, was we so were... good. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm, I, I yeah. think that it was there. I think it's buried in, you know, here in State of Flux uh-huh. uh, and, and really buried, like really, really buried. <laughs> but I think it's there because at the end, I think that Seska's monologue has a lot of value to it. Is Seska right? Yeah, okay. Right? Have Janeway's Federation principles misguided her to what she promised her crew at the very beginning to get them home? So I think that it's a really good follow-up to Seska's motivations and it makes her character, you know, that much more, you know, complicated and complex. But again, it's do Here's the question though, and I, I hate asking a question with another question, but I guess the only thing that this episode has really left us with are questions. Does Seska actually represent what we in now in the 21st century then when this episode came out in the 20th century as humans would feel if we were forced to make the same choice? Is Seska actually wrong? Okay, so if she's operating under the purest motivation to get her crew home, is that the act of a villain? <laughs> of course, there are procedures and orders and chain of command. That's the Federation side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, of the equation. But what good are those? Those procedures, those orders, that format, if you never make good on the promise that is greater than the sum of its parts, which are the principles that Janeway is following in order to fulfill that promise. Janeway can hold herself to the letter of her principles, but if she doesn't get them home, how does that serve her? Right. Consequently, or conversely, if if Seska was able to actually make this treaty with the Kazon to get Voyager home, she would have been exonerated from her crimes mm-hmm. because she did what she was supposed to do and everyone would have hailed her as a hero and not a traitor. So the big question is, in the end, can Janeway speak for everyone on that ship when it comes to all of them following her letter of the Federation code and living up to that standard? Or is that even realistic, showing that the journey is already showing these cracks in the system, a la Seska, that are maybe showing them, hey, you know what? There might be a different way of doing things. That's what I got out of this episode. How about you? Oh, uh, so uh, don't steal from the galley. Um, True. Misery loves company. 
That was a nice little, uh, so nice true. little ending there for uh, Tuvok to learn. But no, I mean it, it's funny because, in all seriousness, you know, you and I again not looking at each other's notes or talking about our topics. I had a very similar reaction to the the Seska storyline that that you did, which is to ask what is the right thing to do here, and and I guess in Tuvok's parlance, the the parameters of defining what is right is really the question here. So oh, you're not going to let that one go. I can't, I can't. I can't. I can't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Yeah. So look, there are so many ways that Seska is wrong very clearly. She has lied about her identity. And, and again, we don't really know the details around that. Uh, she contacted a hostile alien. She traded technology. So there are so many elements that are wrong there. At the same time, who's to say that her plan wasn't somehow better you know there's a difference between right and wrong but there's also a difference between better and worse it's fair to question Janeway's course of action from the beginning but it's wrong to lie about it and go behind her back so was Seska in a position that she couldn't express those concerns because because she's my key uh, because Captain wouldn't listen to her anyway I'm not putting the blame specifically on Janeway here, but it's a fair question to ask, given Seska's very strong drive to do something, to do anything other than what her commanding officer has planned. And in the service of getting everyone home, which, after all, is the stated mission of this captain and her ship. Let me ask you something, John. Sure. So in in the nature of Federation principles, I mean, we're we're basically talking about as they're out in the Delta Quadrant, the only thing that separates them from uncivilized species or acting uncivilized in their in their own respect are laws and principles and the governance of their character through those. Mm-hmm. But not everyone on the ship believes in those principles. Sometimes, you know, and in in the McKee's case, obviously with the you know with the story about how they were able to steal all the ingredients to make the soup because that was the goal. Yeah. They broke a bunch of laws. These arbitrary laws, really, on a ship. They were arbitrary laws that are that are enforced in an enforceable way where you can do that, say, i.e. the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. But you know what? They were hungry. They wanted something to eat. They made something for Chakotay, you know, to celebrate something. Yeah. Right? And yeah, sure. Are they going to get busted down for it? Maybe. Are they really? Not really. Mm-hmm. So in the end, the biggest question is, what are you going to do to get home? Yeah. You know, I mean, are you going to, are you going to swallow a little bit of your Federation pride in order to get the job done? Or are you going to follow the letter of the law, but not make it back? What's more important, right? And if you say that it can be done both ways, then maybe it can. But at the same time, though, you got people out there that are seeing a bunch of different ways of a bunch of different uh, opportunities of doing the right thing. And that's, I want to go back to my loved ones. I'll do whatever it takes. I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think that's unrealistic either. Yeah. Well, I I would agree with you there. And I would pose that same question to our audience. And uh, you know how to reach us. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. You can visit our website at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Heroes and Demons. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. 
online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. I have analyzed the available data and I have a suggested course of action to make peace with the Kazons. Buy them some shampoo. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.